This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire, and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at paycor.com slash leaders. Welcome to The Final Four is Not in the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our preview for the Sweet 16 matchup with Kansas State on Thursday afternoon, or evening I should say. Uh, before we begin, I just want to send a quick word of thanks to all of the supporters we have on Patreon, uh, namely in the McTeen Cleaves, uh, Brian O'Donnell, Chad Hickey, and in the Draymond Green level, Adam Walzak, Dan Rankin, Doug Robinson, James Benton, Jim L., Michael Bosnick, Paul Marsh, Scott Driscoll, and all of the ones who are members in the Scott Skiles uh, level. You can go to Patreon to give a monthly support for the show. We really appreciate it. It helps keep the lights on here. and helps us keep going. Uh, you can do that by going to the final force on the schedule.com slash support. There will give you options for uh, signing up through Patreon for a monthly basis. You also can go and do one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo. And we have Michael McNicholas who <laughs> sent us a gift this month and said, sorry, but I don't want to tell too many people about this pod because I want to impress my friends and family. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. That's pretty funny. Uh, that is part of the show. You know, you're going to know more about Michigan State basketball than your friends. But we still think, you know, it'd be nice for you to share. If you're not a subscriber to the show, make sure on your podcast player, subscribe. If you're finding our show through other means, like through Twitter or the internet, just go to your a podcast player that you might use and, and hit subscribe. And that way you don't miss any shows. And also, please share with your friends and other Spartan fans that helps build the community, makes it bigger, makes it more likely for other people to stumble on the show and more of us can be better informed about the Spartans and not have dumb Twitter takes that you find so often <laughs> out there in the uh, the periphery. Um, before I go on to the, another great way to support doesn't, the show. There's a good oh, time for those people, by the way. Yeah, I know they I know they don't want to be held accountable, but, you know, the beauty of the Internet is that it never forgets. Remember that. It's not like Vegas. What happens on Twitter stays on yeah. Twitter forever. Yeah. <laughs> the bulletin boards or whatever. Uh, another great way to support the show is you can buy our merchandise. So we had a t-shirt drive last fall, right? Or right winter, I guess. Uh, you can go and get our hoodies or our t-shirts printed by Nudge Printing. Super high quality. Very comfortable. Uh, they're, you know, screen printed just like what Nudge does. You can go and find that by going to the final fours on the schedule.com slash merchandise. The great thing about that, all the proceeds to that go towards our show. And as an added bonus, it is entirely possible that our shirts, and you don't even know this, Rod, our shirts have superpowers because my wife has worn the our t-shirt just twice for the USC game. And now also she decided to wear it Sunday for the Marquette Bro, game. You know what's happening Thursday evening, man. She t- she came t- she she came home today. She said, "Just so you know, I have to do laundry tonight because I have to be able to wear that shirt Thursday." 
Well, I don't know so, if I feel comfortable with that because she's washing it. That could break oh. the streak. Well, she washed it in between. She is a woman, so oh, she doesn't right, just right, she doesn't wear dirty right. shirts, you know. Fair enough. So we're she's not, not we're not down to that. Okay. No, it's not like you take your underwear and you wear it you know, forwards and backwards and inside and outside. You can wear four days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, hey, uh, so I, I have an idea and I'm gonna make a promise right now. I haven't even talked about this with you, Eric. Okay. If Michigan State gets through this next weekend unscathed, I am promising that we will have a t we will have a piece of merchandise, a t-shirt on sale that reads the final four is on the schedule. <laughs> We've right. gotten to say that once in the lifetime of this podcast. We were doing this, obviously, our longtime listeners will remember. Uh, we started in 16, I think. Yeah. We right, started with Sam the 16, 17 season. Right. And um and the 2019 Final Four, we were, you know, we, we had changed the name temporarily. Um, and we will gladly do that again come Saturday if uh if things break the right way. Oh, I love that. And you know, as listeners know, I of course won a trip to the final four by hitting free throws at the at halftime. And I was thinking, boy, it would be just great if Michigan State was there, but what are the you know, what are the chances of that? Because this team was looked like we all saw the components. We saw the makings of a potential there, but we hadn't seen it come together to where you could feel confident that it's, it was going to happen, that they were going to look competent. What gave what gave you the, the reason for hope is something that I've been saying all year long, which is you can you can say that Michigan State has been plagued by inconsistency. And of course, you would be correct. But you could also say that about pretty much everybody else in the country, too. And so that was always going to be part of the equation, which was, okay, does your team find a level of consistency at the right time? Yeah. And over the first weekend, at least that's what we saw. We saw Michigan state getting back to some program basics and doing it in a way they really haven't done for much of this season. And, uh, and that's been enough to get them through. So it was, yeah, it was not a safe bet. I don't think either of us are going to stand here. We were not proclaiming from the rooftops, this is a Final Four team. But I think we said, look, does it, do they have a chance? Yeah, because I think a lot of teams have a chance. And I think right. that's exactly what we've seen. You know, if you look around, we're, we're just to the Sweet 16 level. Two of the four one seeds are already out. And both Houston and Alabama, particularly Houston, got tested in the right. round of thirty-two. You know, they fought through in a tough situation, basically having to play a road game, which was absurd. But um, you know, I, I I'm not surprised. Let's put it that way. I am not surprised at all with what we are seeing in this tournament, and that extends to Michigan State too. Um you know, in a year with so much parody, real parody, not the kind of parody people talk about all the time. It's real this year. The differences between teams are, are, are minuscule when you're talking about the, the totality of what they are. And so when you have that, these are, this is what you're going to get in terms of result. It's really wide open. 
And finally, before we begin, uh, just a up, brief update on our bracket challenge for TIFF Nuts. Things have moved around a lot. I don't know if you've checked, Rod, but uh, right now you are in 25th place. And out of, out of how many? 145 or so. I'm in 25th. Yeah, That's you've not bad. You've, You've rocked out. I do. I would like to point out your champion is out. So uh, yeah, I don't I know. know if... Which was my champion was out in the first round. It was Arizona, <laughs> but I've, I've got two of my four final four picks alive. The problem is one of them is Tennessee. Yeah, so right. we're going to be rooting very hard against myself. Hopefully, come Saturday. And you're, and you're tied with my son and my wife. They're both also in twenty fifth okay. place. Uh, I'm I'm coming in Good at seventy fourth. I'm at seventy fourth oh. place, so I've faded quickly. My Drake has uh, has really hurt me, and my Duke Kentucky Elite Eight matchup did not come to fruition. Uh, thankfully, so I mean I'm more than happy to that to be the case. The the East bracket is the one. The East Regional is the one that I'm really pleased by because I know I talked about it. Mm-hmm. Every single talking head and media person I saw had Duke versus Marquette in the Elite Eight game in the East region, and they're both bounced in the second round. And and I I'm, again, I've made a lot of mistakes in picking this thing. Obviously, I'm not in first, but I called that one easily. And one of the reasons I called it and felt so confident in it was. They were the two picks du jour in large part because they'd both been riding hot streaks for a while. They both came into the tournament having won like nine or 10 games in a row. This season, death. It's so, panned uh, out that way. Next would be uh, Bracket Dom. Dom is, was the bracketologist we had who, since we've been, I don't know if we've mentioned it, but since we've had him on the show, he's now no longer the number two bracketologist in the world. He's number one. We got in early. We got in early. <laughs> so we, we got our foot in the door. So he's 89th. And then uh, Gabe. Ah, I feel Gabe, even better. <laughs> Gabe from uh, Nudge Printing is 131st. So he's struggling, but Woo! he's got Michigan State as a champion. So he has, I think, well, he could to really, yeah. Yeah, that would move him way up. Let and then Gabe wins it. <laughs> and then, yeah, I hope so. If that's if that's what it takes. And then uh, in last place is Kurt from Brothers That Just Do Gutter. So Kurt he's, had a he's literally last in the entire thing. Well, he's ahead of the three people who didn't actually fill out the brackets that just had you know entered. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel a lot better about myself now. I I will admit I haven't been. I mean I remember who i picked generally yeah but i hadn't been monitoring where i was so that's very i'm hearing this for the first time so i'm uh i i'm feeling much better about my prognostication ability i don't need to win it to feel good right that's almost a sign that you don't know enough right <laughs> but but uh but i'll take uh, i'll take a pass and feel yeah. okay well and and uh, my son is reminds me after every round, you know, where he is in relation to me. And so the fact that he was behind me <laughs> and now he's ahead of me, he's uh, yeah, quick to yeah. point that out. To I me. am I am really irritated. The last game last night, I lost what would have been my third Final Four. I had TCU winning that oh, regional, yeah. and they really had a shot against Gonzaga. They just couldn't get it done late. Um, that was an example of I think you know, pedigree of a program and having guys that go through this 
playing high level games year after year after year versus a program that's not as used to doing it. I think that really showed up. So that was, that was one that had me crying, but, um, because it would have been great. And I don't think many people picked TCU. I mean, they were a six seed, but, uh, I, I was confident in them and boy, they almost made me look smart. Yeah. Well, it's like just with Drake, I had, they would look really like a great pick. And then they just, yeah. the last three minutes of that game against, them. uh, in Miami. I picked them with their first round game. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, was wishing they would have won that. <laughs> they might've had maybe. a shot. Maybe. Uh, and then the, finally, you know, so for me, it's actually we've come to the point now in our family where we're cheering against all Texas teams, not because we have anything against the state of Texas, but we want to make it easy to get tickets if we have to get tickets to the final right. four. So TCU right. right now is actually good. So we just need Texas and Houston to get bounced, and then we're all set for uh, for hopefully getting some easy tickets to Houston. The good news there is you know both of them aren't getting through. That's right? true. They're in the same region. They're the one and the two in that region, correct? No, they're not. Well, I think not. UCLA is with Houston, and I think sure? Texas is with. Uh, Are you sure? Uh, I'm. Am I sure? No, I. I think that's the case. I could swear quick. they were one and two in the same region. I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I'm not looking at it. I'll look at it real quick. Now that we've got it, so I thought they were on a collision course. Uh, tech. Oh, you're right. They are. They're both okay. in the Midwest. Yeah, strangely, right. they're both in the Midwest. You're right. So. All right. So, so, so you really, you really only got a shot for, for one survivor. But that means and more likely that one's going to make it, too, in some ways. It so, does, but, you know, we've still we got Xavier to come Thursday, big. Friday games. That's right. And they're my, they're my pick to win that region. So yeah. All right. let's hope they do it. Okay. Well, let's talk about Kansas State, the Kansas State Wildcats. Michigan State will face on Thursday night in the Sweet 16. That's the first game on the docket at, I think, believe it's 630 Eastern. They're led by first your head coach, uh, Jerome Tang, or is it Jeremy? Is it Jerome Tang? Jerome. I think. Yep. Yeah. Longtime assistant to Scott Drew, who is at Baylor, before taking over in uh, at Manhattan and uh, for Kansas State. The Wildcats are twenty-five and nine overall. They're eleven and seven in the Big Twelve, which is a, arguably the best conference in the country, certainly by the seating. It yeah. was, that's the, the metrics show that. This is their first time. Uh, well, the, they've reached the Sweet 16 by beating Montana State by 12. They beat Kentucky in the uh, round of 32 by six. They're 47th in offensive efficiency and 17th in defensive efficiency on offense. They're not a very good team shooting from three. They're only 33.6%, uh, which is 195th nationally, but 70th in two-point percentage. They have a problem hanging onto the ball. They're 285th in turnover percentage, so that's a real problem for them. But they do get a lot of free throw attempts. Make they're number forty-eight, and uh, they hit at seventy-five percent when they're at the line. Rebounding from an offense standpoint, they're okay. They're one hundred sixteenth defensively. They're really good in general. Uh, they're middle of the pack in number threes. They give up, but they are good with percent against at fifteenth, which is probably a reflection of sort of the type of players they have in athletes. They're number fifty-two in turnovers forced, fifty-seventh uh, in steals, and they're one hundred twenty-eighth against twos. And the one thing they're really bad at, which seems to be a trend as far as Michigan State teams are going up against, is they're a very yep. bad defensive rebounding team where they're 240th. Yep. Uh, they also play fast. They're 44th in offensive tempo this year. So they do like to run and get out and move. You know, Michigan State is what, in the 300s, I think, as far as their tempo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan State's transition defense obviously will be important. Uh, and then I guess I guess in general, this, you know, the this new coach this is after he's taking over for Bruce Weber, who was fired. He was a former coach at Illinois as well. And now he's, you know, BTN set, uh, they're, they're long, they're strong, they're athletic. 
And so they play, again, that's probably explains a little bit why they allow a lot of threes, but they probably don't have a high percentage made against them, probably because they can get out on the shooters a little bit faster than the shooters maybe are used to, and uh, is my guess, you know, just sort of in general. But they did beat, uh, they did beat Kentucky, which is look like, you know, look like they're an inclusion course for Michigan State after that. Uh, but of course it doesn't happen. And Duke got wiped out in that region as well. So it's a very strange region. It's, you've got Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Michigan State, Marquette, uh, or sorry, Michigan State and, uh, and Kansas State. I don't think there are probably a whole lot of people who had those four <laughs> in their Sweet 16. Uh, well, the I just talked about it. Every and their brother had Duke and Marquette. Yeah. Both bye bye in the second round. Um, you know, Purdue going out in the first round, obviously the one seed, a total shocker. Um, you know, but but then again, it's not you you do have the three in Kansas State and the right. four mm-hmm. in Tennessee still surviving. And then you have Michigan State as a seven, which by seed is nice, but you know, come on. <laughs> It's Michigan state Florida Atlantic would be the surprise. But again, I'm going to bet that they're on a decent They're They're probably on a decent number of brackets because for two reasons, one, um, well, the the main reason is because I think there was so little confidence in Purdue as the one seed. The flip side of that is I think a lot of people figured Memphis would be the team to take them out instead, you know, Florida Atlantic beat Memphis. So Memphis wouldn't have even gotten to Purdue, even if Purdue had beaten FDU. Um, but I, I think there are, there are people that will claim that FDU kind of got the shaft by only getting were they? The, I can't remember whether they were the eight or the nine. They were the nine. Um, they were the nine. nine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a team that's won what I think it's 33 games now. And granted, it's Conference USA, so people discount that, but that that team is pretty legit. So you're yeah. right. It's certainly not the four teams in Madison Square Garden that uh, were expected by media, especially in a region where you have Duke as a five and Kentucky as a six. People are going to gravitate to those names, you know? And, and again, Purdue is a one would not have been, even though people suspect um, or they were suspect and, and a lot of people were suspicious of what they would do. Um, it wouldn't have been a shocker totally to see them come through and get to the sweet 16 either, but it's ended up not being any of those teams. Instead, it's, it's these other teams. I would say about, you know, the other half, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I actually picked Tennessee to win this region, which seemed to be, way off the board even though they're a four seed you have to remember that's based in large part upon what they actually did during the season they're not the same team now because their point guard is out for the year Ziegler that's a big loss but I still had faith that Tennessee had enough I, I picked them to beat Duke I figured they would do that and the reason I picked them is what they've shown they are still a very big very physical team that can absolutely lock you up defensively. None of that changed offensively. They're, they're in a rougher spot, but the things that are are really the key to that team are still largely intact in my view. Um, And, and I will say this just before I turn back to Kansas state specifically, 
if Michigan State is to win this regional, I'm going to assume Tennessee beats Florida Atlantic. That Florida Atlantic winning wouldn't be a total shock. And Tennessee's the favorite. If Michigan State is fortunate enough to play both Kansas State and Tennessee, these are going to be two old-time physical wars. Like, you're going to feel like you just stepped into a time machine and went back to 2000. Because <laughs> it's going to be that kind of basketball. So turning back to Kansas State, you have to give Jerome Tang a ton of credit, a ton, because he took over a team that I believe only returned two guys when all the dust settled. Schweber got fired. They had a lot of guys transfer out, including one of those guards that led Miami to their win over IU yesterday. Um, they lost a bunch of other guys. So he had to assemble a roster fast. Now, the portal makes that a different proposition than it even was three years ago. If he'd been in this spot pre-COVID, no chance Kansas State is here. Zero. No shot. But because we, we are in a different era, he was able to go out and get some guys. Now, to his credit, other than Keontae Johnson, None of the guys he brought in were particularly super high-profile players. He didn't do what, say, Underwood did, where he goes out and he gets high-profile you know, high transfers in the portal, right? Uh, he got a couple of stars, supposedly. That's not really what Jerome Tang did. He got one guy that people thought would be very good if he could play. Remember, Keontae Johnson had the cardiac incident with florida a couple of years ago oh right people weren't sure he would ever come back i think everybody understood if he's healthy he's a big time talent but is he going to be healthy is he going to be the same guy he was before you know those were all open questions so even with him that wasn't a slam dunk and then the rest of it was assembling pieces so he on the fly put together this team that has had a great season so credit to him, you know, he was part of, for a long time assistant with Scott Drew, he was a big part of building that program into what it's become, which is a perennial contender now in the big 12, you know, you start every year at this point, assuming that Baylor is going to be somewhere in that mix. Well, Jerome Tang was a big part of that. So it's not a surprise that he's been able to have success. I think to do it this quickly was surprising. They were picked dead last in the big 12. And here they are in the Sweet 16, and it should be really that surprising based on what they were in the regular season. You know, they and they were a three seed. Yeah. So yeah, they you, you can look at that and say, right, they're expected to be here. Um, but he's done he's done a great job in that on that front. It is very much diametrically opposed to the way Tom Izzo's team has been built. They are very, very differently assembled rosters, clearly. And so we'll, we'll get back to that when we get to the keys. Does that play into anything in the end? Well, we'll, we'll find out on Thursday. Um, stylistically, they are a very different team than what we just saw in Marquette. Uh, they play very fast, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and they are in 
attack mode all the time. This is a team that is going to force itself upon you. And sometimes that, that works out very well for them. They're solidly in the top 100 from twos. They draw a lot of fouls and they shoot free throws reasonably well when they get there. So those are all positives. The negatives are their turnover numbers are horrific. And so Marquette was a team that came into that game with outstanding turnover numbers and Michigan State actually some of them were self-inflicted wounds but Michigan State made a lot of those plays yeah defensively it was unusual in that respect and I think a lot of it had to do with the way MSU got into the scouting report Kansas State will self-inflict wounds a lot <laughs> we've been used um, to that in East Lansing absolutely they're, they're not a I don't want to say they're a standard issue time is a team because there's certain elements of it they don't do like they're not a great offensive rebounding team, but in some ways, the athleticism, the attacking mindset and some of the mistakes that go with that are a little bit reminiscent of some other teams has had in the past. Um, I would say this Kansas State too offensively. And you might have seen this. I would imagine a fair amount of our listeners probably saw the game against Kentucky. Uh, because it was on in the window right before MSU's game, and it was the only game that was airing. Uh, this is a team that goes for the home run a lot. And against Kentucky, they were connecting a lot on those home runs. Do not think that they do with regularity. Uh, I would describe Kansas State, and I felt this way having seen them in the regular season, uh, I saw them beat Kansas and they beat Kansas by getting a lead and then barely holding on through some horrible decisions late in that game that kept Kansas afloat. And that is what I thought of when I saw Kansas State this packet said there's some real physical talent. They got some gamers. I mean, they play hard. They keep coming at you. They are tough. All those things are true but they are not a smart basketball team. They just aren't. They will, they will make poor decisions trying to hit home runs. You, you have not seen a team this year, I guarantee you, that will attempt more behind the back passes, <laughs> spectacular plays. That's what I mean when I say they go for the home run. They try, and, and you saw in the Kentucky game, they pulled most of those off. That's no guarantee it'll happen the same way against Michigan State. In fact, I would bet that it's at that same rate. Um, so that's a problem for them. They can they can big play themselves right out of a game. Um, but Michigan State is going to have to deal with the aggression that Kansas State brings to the game. That's the word I would use with them. They are aggressive for good and for bad. Defensively, they're better. Um, they, you mentioned, they're they're middling in terms of giving up three point attempts, but they're outstanding in terms of the percentage against. And when you get to this point in the season, I start to put a little more faith in that number. That's a notoriously luck driven number to some extent. But when you're that good at it and done it over this long a period of time, I ascribe at least some of those results to what you're actually doing. 
defensively. I don't think it's all luck. So I think they're good there, which, you know, again, Michigan State's playing another team that's got the capability to hold threes down and is probably going to look to emphasize it. They're not as good against twos, but they're okay there. The, the one big weakness that stands, they, they force turnovers decently. Again, they're aggressive. Um, top 60 in terms of turnovers and in steals. So, again, you know it's not just the misfortune of opponents. They're actually creating a lot of those turnovers. Right. But, but that one weakness, defensive rebounding, stands out like a sore thumb. And what's weird about it, is is two things normally when i see that i'm assuming that either you're just talking about a small team or you might be talking about a team that really emphasizes shot blocks and like we talked about um with usc that was a problem usc had really good rim protection numbers but they also gave up a lot of putbacks second chances and it's in part it's i think because their defenders take chances and take themselves out of the play where they're trying to block a shot. That's not really Kansas state. They don't have good shot blocking numbers. And while they start a smaller team, most of their bench is big. So it ends up that they play a decent amount of size. A problem either. I haven't really worked out why it's such a problem for them, but it's a problem. I mean, they are, they are bad as a defensive rebounding team. So that's a potential Achilles heel that Michigan State can look to exploit as well. All right, well, then let's talk about the starters uh, brought to you by the brothers at Just Do Gutters. So Kurt is clearly, he's proven he's not very good at picking his uh, bracket, but he's really good at doing gutters. <laughs> so this is a company that just specializes in doing gutters, doing fantastic work. It is springtime, rain is coming. The snow will, I promise, turn to rain, and we're going to have all kinds of problems if you don't have that taken care of. So if you live on the west side of the state, the Grand Rapids area, be sure you get a hold of Kurt Stauffer and his team, the brothers that just do gutters. They can clean them out. They can put leaf guards on them. They can repair them. They can replace them. They've got a huge selection. They work quickly. They're very professional. They work in any weather, and they'll get it done like you wouldn't believe it's in pretty much any weather. Again, they're really fast, and they're going to do fantastic work. You won't regret it. So you can contact Kurt at his email at kurt.staufefer at brothersgutters.com. The link for that will be found below. Uh, you get 10% off if you mention Final Four as you get uh, a hold of him to get the work done. All right, so we'll begin with the starters. The first one is Marquise Noel, a 5'8 senior, started his career at Arkansas Little Rock. I'm sure that's probably because he's just so small uh, that probably no one trusted him. And he, I think you're probably uh, right. He averages 17.1 points a game on 39, 35, and 89 shooting. He gets the line a ton, averaging six free throw attempts a game, averages 7.8 assists per game, but he has a lot of turnovers as well, so he's just barely above the two-to-one assist turnover mark. Uh, And he looked really good, and he was really kind of took over that game at the end of the Kentucky-Kansas State game where he was just dynamic and hitting free throws and just, just really good. Look, he's been a very productive player for them, and he's one of the few holdovers they had, and it's that's probably got a lot to do with why they've been successful despite the heavy roster turnover is if you're going to pick a spot to have a guy coming back, point guard's a pretty good place to start. Now, granted, that was for a different coach, but 
still, you'd rather have a guy who's comfortable, knows the surroundings, all of that as your leader. And he's been really, really good. There's, there's no two ways about it, but I would say everywhere you look, the scoring, the assists, he leads them in steals almost two and a half a game. Um, the word that comes to mind is dynamic. He makes things happen, but there's a big, but here, (laughs) if you only watch the Kentucky game, it's the only time you've seen Kansas state, you would think, oh, this guy's maybe the best point guard in America. Yeah. Cause everything he did went right, especially late. That is not the full story. You mentioned his turnover numbers. They are high. Now he averages almost eight assists a game. So that still means he's making things happen, but it it also means he's averaging like, you know, a little over three and a half turnovers a game. He's making mistakes, his shooting numbers. You know, if you saw him hitting all those threes against Kentucky late that game, you'd be excused for thinking, oh, this guy is just a stone cold killer. Not the case. 35% from three. He's got shot selection issues at times. He's the primary guy. Now, their whole team does it to one extent or another, but he's the main guy that I was referring to when I was talking about looking to make the home run. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of that. Um, And sometimes when that goes badly, that can take Kansas State right out of games. I think it's going to be very interesting. I would expect because of the physical nature of things that there may be a lot of this game where he and Tyson Walker guarding each other, both New York city point guards. I mean, Tyson obviously is playing more of a scoring role for MSU this year, but you get my drift. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be fascinating. Both guys that are coming home to play in this game at Madison square garden it'll be interesting to see um, what impact, if any, the emotions around that have with either or both of them. I don't know if they know each other. It would, it, given their age, it wouldn't surprise me if they do, because they're about the same age, um, but, uh, or at least are familiar with each other. But this kid's very, very good. I don't mean to denigrate him at all. He's an outstanding player, but, you should not be surprised if you see him with some head scratching moments in the game against MSU because that's kind of what he is. Do do teams exploit the five foot eight nature of him? I mean, he's smaller than Thomas than uh, Stephen Izzo. Well, Thomas Izzo too, probably. Uh, so I would think it defensively. I mean, he's probably quick, and I mean that's why he gets all the steals, very, obviously. But very very quick. I would think like you know against into Wisconsin, he'd be a huge problem because you could invert. Your, your guards and uh, yeah, post them up. I don't think you're going to see Michigan State do much of that because that's just not something they do very much. Whether whether they've had those issues at times this season, I don't know. I haven't seen. I've seen Kansas State a decent amount. I haven't seen them enough to really be able to answer that question. Um, to me, I'm a big proponent of posting guards of inversion stuff. If it's something you do, it's something you need to practice. Your guys need to be comfortable doing it. And let's be honest, most guards are not asked to do that. So if you were going to just game plan because, oh, I've got a six, three guy (laughs) that's being guarded by him. 
So I'm just who never posts up anybody, but I'm going to decide to do that in this game. I think that's probably a mistake because you're asking a player to do something they don't normally do for a one game situation. That's, that's not ideal to me. Right. So I wouldn't expect Michigan state to do a lot of that. Um, and, uh, I would look, you look at Kansas state season and you can't, you would assume they haven't been made to pay a price very often. Yeah, sure. Uh, so next would be Desi Sills, six, two senior. He's been on the bench. He's been a starter recently. He's been more of a starter. He's averaging a little under nine points a game on 45, 22 and 76 shooting. And is a guy who gets a line a lot. He's, he's one of three players who has over a hundred free throw attempts in the season. Yeah, th- this is a guy that you're going to play to attack as opposed to, well, we got to worry about him as a, as a threat on the arc. He's just not been a good shooter, but he definitely gets himself to the line and has a high degree of activity in going off the dribble. So that's the concern that he presents for you there. Next would be Cam Carter, 6'3", sophomore, averaging 6.4 points a game on 37, 32, and 71 shooting. Uh, he started his career at Mississippi State before transferring into uh, K-State. K yeah, uh, you know, playing a support role, but he's been a consistent starter all year. They like him defensively, he's contributed a little bit offensively. But again, one of the cast of thousands of transfers <laughs> um, that, that comprise this team. Uh, next is the... Previously mentioned Keontae Johnson, 6'6", 220-pound senior, averaging 17.5 points a game and seven rebounds a game, which both lead the team. He's shooting 51, 41, and 73. Uh, So he's a three-level scorer. And as you mentioned, he had recently played for Florida. Yeah, it's it's a great story in terms of his comeback from that because this was – and maybe this goes back a little further than most people's memories go these days, but he had that incident on the court with, uh, he had a heart issue during a game and it was right in the early stages of playing after COVID had hit. And so there was a lot of concern about, well, is this a function of his having had COVID it got it got caught up in the whole without going into the weeds yeah, too politics. deeply the whole myocarditis yeah. issue right yep. I remember there was that horrendous study that not even the study author was standing behind the conclusions that were drawn from it at a Penn State um, around the potential effect on athletes' hearts mm-hmm. even if they had a a mild case of COVID well a lot of that came out in the wash, you know, in terms of how accurate that was, but this was early still early ish. And it was scary. It was obviously it was much more scary for him, <laughs> yeah. but it was scary on a whole host of levels. You got a kid just collapsing in the middle an otherwise healthy, healthy appearing kid, just collapsing in the middle of a game. Well, he's come back all the way from that. And it, it's, easy to say, well, he was a very talented player at Florida. So of course it's natural to assume he'd be good at Kansas state. None of that was preordained. Right. Right. You know how he was going to come back from it, you know, at what level he would play. 
All that was an open question. I, the way it's worked out is Jerome Tang got the best transfer in the country. <laughs> I think that's a fair statement to say about how good Keontae Johnson spent. Very tough cover. You know, he's a three-level scoring threat. This kid is athletic. He's strong. He will play some three and some four. He's been starting at the four lately. And so that does create a bit of a conundrum for Michigan State. And I wonder how they choose to deal with it. I'm not certain of this, but I wonder if they actually might start the game putting Joey Hauser on one of the non-shooters and um, and maybe giving Jaden Akins or A.J. Hogard first crack Keontae Johnson. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to me to be an ideal. I think Joey could hang in there, but he doesn't seem to be an ideal matchup. Whereas I think Malik Hall, when he's in the game, I think is yeah choice to match up. But it creates, when he's at the four, he creates some problems potentially for MSU. But uh, look, it, it's an obvious statement. He's their best player, and he's one of the best players in the country. He's been great. Finally, Naquan Tomlin. He's a 6'10", 210-pound junior, averaging 10.3 points a game and 5.8 rebounds a game. Shoots 50, 27, and 73. Uh, so he does shoot a couple threes a game on average, but you know, Chris mentioned 27%. He's not hitting a whole lot of them. Low efficiency, but you know, when a guy's taking that many shots, you just have to be conscious of it. Big addition from the portal because they needed they needed someone who could hold that spot down. And he gives them a lot of what they need. He gives them, he's not a tower of strength physically in there. So he's not a back you down in the post kind of guy, but he's long, he's athletic, he's active. And that's something they needed to add. And he's given Jerome Tang that. So then move into the reserves. We'll start with David Negesian, uh, 6'9", 215-pound junior, played two years at Virginia Tech before transferring to Kate State. He's averaging 6.4 points a game on 69 and 44 uh, and 48. So his 44, though, he's only shot nine threes all season. Uh, yeah, grabs very three, limited, yeah, Sam. Grabs 3.7 rebounds a game and was has been a starter. He's been one sort of rotating through uh, with Desi Sills, I suppose, whether he's coming in or not. Yeah. Exactly. And if they want to go big, he's your four man and, and Johnson can slide to the three. And we will see that look at times um, from him. So, you know, again, one of the, they've got a lot of, they don't start a lot of size. Their starting lineup now is pretty small, actually, but they got a lot of size. They play off the bench, and he's one of them. He's the top guy. Speaking of size, next would be Ismail Masood, 6'9, 225 pound junior. Mostly plays in perimeter, though. He averages five points a game on 38, 40, and 96 shooting. And so most of his, uh, shots, but he sounds kind of like Miles Dread. Sixty-five percent of his shots and attempts are threes, uh, averaging about fifteen minutes a game. He came in from Wake Forest. Yeah, not not quite as extreme as Miles Dredd, no, but maybe yeah. like a in, in Seth that ball, in that ballpark. <laughs> there you go. Um, he hit a huge shot late in that game against Kentucky. He just rose up from about I don't know twenty-five feet and drained it. But you look at the percentage, and he's one of their few guys that you can say unequivocally is a pure shooter. So despite his size, he's 
really a guy who makes most of the impact, at least offensively, on the perimeter. He's not a guy, again, not a post-up threat. He's not going to back you down much, but he can he can stretch the floor. Uh, next, more size is Abiyomi Iola, 6'10", 220-pound junior. This is his fourth stop. He's been playing at Stetson, yeah. Arkansas, Hofstra, averaging 3.6 points a game and three rebounds a game in about 12 minutes and shooting 55% from the floor and 77% from the line. Yeah, you know, reasonably productive. Uh, deeper rotation guy and it's more size um, he's more of a center uh, and that's the role they'll they'll use him in uh, kind of backing up Tomlin but um, yeah the, the four schools thing it's just how is that possible to me. I guess I, I guess I'm not it's not clear to me I thought once you transfer is that because they just refine the transfer rules you can only transfer once without sitting or without being forced yeah to you're, you're exact exactly um and, and it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to see more of this. You're going to see more of it where you got guys that are just moving on every year. And it's, you know, it's a funny thing too. It's like, you look, look at this guy, for example. So where did he start? Stetson. Okay. Then he goes to Arkansas, right? Yep. So he transfers up. Then, back down. then he moves back down to Hofstra because he didn't play enough. Yeah. Had a good year at Hofstra. Enough. Now he moves back up to Kansas State. That's the kind of scenarios you're going to see. It's guys hopping around and trying to navigate that tension between is my role big enough or is the stage big enough? Right. Right. And there's going to be a lot more of this going on, <laughs> but yeah, you know, decent quality depth at the five is, is his role. Yeah. And I suppose in some of you kind of go into the transfer portal and we've talked about this before in the summer, you know, there, there are a lot of guys that whether four or 500 who went into the transfer portal, who never found a spot and they just, you know, didn't end up right. anywhere. And that, you know, it's obviously a huge risk for losing your college, you know, your academic career. Yep. And now obviously he's good enough to get somewhere, you know, but uh, you know, maybe in some ways you may not have a, as much uh, choice of where you end up, right? I mean, it's possible Kansas State was one of, you know, one or two school, power five schools that was interested in him. And so he just had to end up there. It is to your advantage, be you a high school player or a college player entering the portal, to be an early mover. Yeah. I'd, unless unless you are exceptionally good and everybody wants you and there's only so many guys who fit into those categories, it is to your advantage my, to take the first spot available that you feel good with. You should not screw around <laughs> because it's kind of like the old if when you were a little kid, if you ever participated in cakewalks. Yeah, right. Where... They keep taking a chair away every time the music stops. And it's really a lot easier than you think to get caught without a chair. <laughs> Finally, TK Green, 6'4", senior transfer from Stony Brook. Uh, and uh, although he played at Manhattan, which is the, the school in New York, he averages 2.8 points a game on 44, 21, and 35 shooting in about 11 minutes. Yeah, and, and he's just providing guards. I mean, obviously, they start three guards, so that's really where they're getting their depth from, but this kid will, will take a couple turns. 
um, and on the wing and kind of help hold the fort down. Okay, well, we'll go to our five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing in just a moment. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Paycor. Paycor empowers leaders to build winning teams. With Paycor, leaders can recruit, onboard and train employees, set goals, and drive performance. If you're a leader, everyone depends on you. Who do leaders depend on? Paycor. Learn more at paycor.com slash leaders. All right, the five keys to the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing, as a reminder, is one of our sponsors that prints all the Final Fours on the schedule shirts and hoodies, which I guess if Michigan makes the Final Four, we'll have to have a new version available where it is on the schedule. Uh, you can go to find that at finalfoursontheschedule.com slash merchandise, or you can just go to nudgeprinting.com and there you can get anyone in the selection from Gabe and Brittany. Uh, they have, again, high quality Spartan apparel. They also have other schools available that are in the state of Michigan, all the directional schools, Northern, Eastern, Western, Central. And they also have Oakland, Detroit, Wayne State, Saginaw Valley State, Grand Valley State. So if you're someone who's looking for that gear where you're not able to find your school, they are a great option. Uh, You can get also all the vintage Michigan State stuff. They're one of the few licensed providers of the vintage stuff. Uh, Also the special things like Spartan Strong, they're involved in that. They're involved in things like Tuck Cumming, uh, so you can check out their website at nudgeprinting.com. They also have a million really high high quality uh, five-star reviews. So you can get all your gear that you need there at nudgeprinting.com. 20% off for listeners of the show if you enter Final Four as a coupon code at checkout. So make sure you go over there. You will be glad you did. I know I enjoy all my nudge stuff. I know Roz got a bunch of nudge stuff too, and it's just fantastic stuff. All right. So let's get into the keys of the game. Number one, connected. Michigan State was probably the most connected they've been this season in the first two games, first two rounds against USC and then also Marquette. So again, you know, there were this point in the season where you have to be solid defensively every every time you go out on the court. And so there's another another example where they have to do it. And a different kind of challenge. Uh, Marquette was – one similarity is that both of these teams – Marquette and Kansas state have had a lot of success inside the arc, but they did it in different ways. Marquette was much more about cutting and, um, ball screens and finding guys with quick ball movement 
in the, you know, inside the arc to get, generate good shot opportunities. Kansas state is a little, and it's not saying they can't do those things, but they're a little more of, uh, square you up and attack the rim kind of team. You know, they've got guys very athletic that can do that. And consequently, they also get to the foul line a lot. So Michigan state is going to once again, have to be really good in terms of its primary on ball defense. And then they're going to need to be good where Izzo has talked about. They've really made improvement that was demonstrated over the previous weekend in terms of their gap responsibility. So that means help the ability of guys to be in position where they can easily close the gap. If the, if the ball handlers guy primary defender gets beat to some extent, and you saw Michigan state execute that really, really well in those two games, they did it against USC and really bottled up Bogey Ellis and Drew Peterson. And then you saw it repeatedly against Marquette where they didn't let Marquette create those kind of easy scoring opportunities. It's most of the time when a guy seemed like he had a path bucket, it got shut down. And that's going to be even more important in this game. I think just because of the way Kansas state tends to play with their aggression and, and looking to get to the rim, either to score or to create fouls. And for those listeners who are kind of new to the show and or just found it, you know, when you're talking about gap protection, we're talking about generally like your four, your five man. So you're the bigger, the backcourt, backcourt, right? That is frequently, uh, yeah. That is coming, the, that is blocking the, the lane guys to under the, the rim. path to the basket, right? Yep. That's so when somebody gets around right. the initial defender, there's not an easy path and you have to pass it up to, you know, I guess ideally you're passing it to the person, the guy who's blocking the gap was covering because they would theoretically have an opener, uh, you know, more open shot. Yeah, it's Michigan State's standard defensive approach is to any defense is going to have gaps in it, but gap responsibility, the ability to, to close gaps, to close space and provide help without taking yourself totally out of position in terms of your man, because that doesn't do anybody any good. If you, if you seal, seal one guy off, but you, you leave your band to the extent that they're available for an easy jump off, well, that doesn't solve anything, right? Yeah. So it's, it's walking a line. And when you hear them talk about connectivity, being connected, that's really in a very general way, what they're talking about is the ability of guys, another, another cliche we'll hear used to describe it is that the defense is on a string which means when you're, you're pulling one end, the other ends are moving in concert with it, you know? And so nobody's totally out of position yet they're available to provide help when needed. You know, that's, that's the essence of it. And it's something that MSU has struggled with at times this year, at least to find any consistency with it. But I thought they were generally very good. They weren't a hundred percent in both games they had some occasional problems with ball screen coverage where USD and Marquette were able to make them pay. But for the most part, given uh, particularly Marquette, given how ball screen heavy those teams are for the most part, Michigan state, I thought did a really good job in that area and they're going to need to show up again. All right. The second key to the game, 
the three ball. Michigan State has to start hitting some threes to win, right? I mean, they they had to win, hit them to beat USC. Well, not really. They had had to. They absolutely had to beat them against Marquette. Not really. I mean, the last two games, Michigan State has, I believe, seven for thirty from three. The previous five games are forty nine for eighty. I mean, so there's a huge change, you know, in, in efficiency there. At some point, I guess you look at it and say, well, they're going to start hitting them. You know, and when is that going to happen? And the other thing is, you know, can you survive another game where you don't hit them? Well, it's it kind of reminds me of the old saw about the stock market that, you know, the stock market could stay irrational just long enough to break you. <laughs> and and you look at the season numbers, the seasonal averages, and you would say, well, Michigan State's overdue to have a great shooting game. But that's not a guarantee that it happens. Right. And, and particularly Kansas State has proven to be very good against the threes, which was not the case with USC or with Marquette. And so what those teams did is they really sold out. And I thought, you know, and they still weren't able to stop Michigan State from getting a decent amount of really good looks, but they missed them. Yeah. Um, But even so, they kept the attempts down because of the way they defended. Kansas State has been able to do that a little more naturally as a regular part of what they do. And again, the word that comes to my mind when I watch Kansas state aggression, they are very aggressive on the perimeter. It's they create a decent amount of steals and they're able to limit high quality looks by opponents. All that said, if Michigan state plays their game, meaning they're getting the ball into the teeth, of the defense, forcing it to, to um, distort, and then they're spraying the ball out. They're moving the ball well. Michigan State will get good looks. And they hit them. It's hard to imagine that they could go three games without <laughs> the three being a major part of what they do and win them all. But it's that kind of year. The other thing is, too, can Michigan State adjust the way they did in these first two games where those teams were pressing up, trying to take the three away? Michigan State's response largely was, okay, fine, we're going to go to the rim. And I thought Michigan State had its two best games of the season in terms of that, in terms of guards looking to attack. You saw Tyson Walker do it. You saw A.J. Hogard do it. And you certainly saw Jay Nakins do it. That will be imperative here as well. That brings us to our third key to the game, attack. So, you know, what can they do? To, yeah. It, and, and I think – because Michigan State is an excellent free throw shooting team. I don't even think we've even really touched upon how well they did in the game against Marquette, but they were. It was 20, a big part of that. Twenty-one to twenty-three yeah. or something like that. It was. They were fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was huge, and especially coming off an, an unusually bad game against USC, it was nice to see. Uh, yeah, and, and that goes along with what I was just saying. MSU has to be in an attack, you know, Kansas state is going to play with an attacking mindset. That's who they are. Michigan state's got to match that. And if Kansas state is going to take the deep shot away, all right, you got to make them pay for it. How do you do that? You go off the dribble, you know, and you finish plays. Now the good news is Kansas state is not a great rim protection team. So it's not like the USC game, let's say, where you were a little bit conscious of Morgan lurking back there. And, oh, is he gonna is he gonna erase some shots when we think we've blown past somebody? 
and root rim. Kansas State doesn't have that kind of team. So if you can get past that perimeter, that first line, there are probably going to be opportunities to score there. Well, speaking of that first line, when you get back to the back line, that's a potential key to the game as well as the number four key is offensive boards. Michigan State got did okay, 30%, which is actually pretty good, 30% offensive rebounding against Marquette, but really converted for a lot of those for points. I think it was 15 uh, second-chance points, right? That's the key. They were productive with the opportunities they had. And, and again, we're talking about games that are supposed to be very competitive. This is not a game where you're going in as a 15-point favorite or a 15-point underdog. Right. I think the last line I saw was Michigan State by two. Yeah. Um, in Vegas, which is a little different than the Ken Palm line. Um, it's supposed to be close. If it's a one possession game, how much might an extra four or six points on, um, on second chances mean? It could be huge. So Michigan, I'm not talking about Michigan State going in and dominating the game on the offensive glass, although that would be a welcome sight too. I am talking about them possibly stealing just a few buckets here and there that can be a difference maker. And again, we, we always talk about this in conjunction with turnovers. It's kind of the basketball equivalent of special teams in some ways. This is a game that potentially sets up very, very well for Michigan state because Kansas state, although they'll force a decent amount of turnovers, they just commit a ton of them themselves. So going in, you would think if you're Michigan State, hey, that's an area where we probably got a little bit of an advantage. And then if you can duplicate that by carving out a little bit of an advantage on the glass as well, well, hey, maybe you're getting, you know, an extra six or seven chances to score. That's big. In a game that's supposed to be tight, that's really big. Well, certainly. And, you know, you watch that Marquette game and, the biggest play of that game, you know, arguably is that offensive rebound by Malik Hall, then percent call timeout. And then right after that, Walker hits a, hits a two jumper and seven points game over. Yep, exactly. It was, I, I agree with you in, in terms of time and situation, it was the biggest play of the game because if they miss it and Marquette grabs the rebound, well, you've got whatever it was like a minute, and change left possession game. It's and they're only down five, right? Instead, Michigan state is able to bleed the clock down another 15 seconds or so and cap it off with a jumper from Walker where he just squared his guy up and did what we've seen him do a hundred times, use his speed and, and handle to create enough space to get a good look. And he drained it. And that was ball game. I mean, it was the Malik call giving them that second chance was huge. So you're looking, and we said the same thing in that Marquette game. It doesn't have to be total domination, and it wasn't. But it's, are you able to carve out that little bit of an advantage? And it's the same dynamic here. And finally, the fifth key to the game, cohesion. So the one thing that Michigan State has going for them is they're an old team in the sense that, you know, their guards and well, even Malik Hall, right? They've got a lot of a lot of uh, experience on the at all over the court. Joey Hall, Walker, and Hogard. Only Akins is the baby, right? With is <laughs> a sophomore, but they don't really have any freshmen they rely on in this game. So, and they've been playing together for at least a year or two. 
that's that's the big difference because Kansas State has guys who have a lot of experience playing, but they don't come close to matching Michigan State's connected, cohesive, cumulative uh, experience playing with each other. Right, there is a difference there. Now, will that go up? I mean, Kansas State has got a full year under its belt playing together, so it's not as if this is November. But I would submit when you see a team that has the turnover issues they do, has the defensive rebounding issues that they do, those can be signs of a team that is still not really as connected as you'd want to be. And I don't mean emotionally. I just mean in terms of really knowing each other's games inside out, you know, um, Michigan State had moments down the swell. I think the whole stretch run yesterday, the big difference between Michigan State and Marquette is one team is very experienced and has played together a lot, and the other team couldn't, couldn't match that. Yeah, Marquette's very young, and it showed. I, I felt. Yeah, well, I think I felt both it ends, showed up. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And so Kansas State, it's a little different. They got a lot of juniors and seniors, so these guys have a lot of basketball under their belts, but they don't have as much basketball playing together as Michigan State has. So this is a real contrast. You are talking about a Kansas State team that has pretty much exclusively been built through the portal. Like Even the guys that they've got back, like Noel, he was a portal guy. It was just a year earlier. Yeah, right. Um, Michigan State has two guys that they brought in via transfer. One of them is in his fourth year in the program, <laughs> counting the red shirt year he had to take. And the other is in his set. So it's a little different thing. Um, and we will see if that makes any difference. I'm not suggesting that that's the most important factor in this game. That's why it's number five. It's not number one, but it is something that occurs to me. Um, I give full credit to Kansas state because they had no other option for this season, but to build it this way. And they did. And they obviously made good choices in terms of who they opted to add. And they've done a great job of integrating all those guys together and forging a cohesive group. But we are now at the sweet 16 stage. And from here on out, it's small differences that matter. You are no longer in a phase there should be huge gaps between teams. It is the small things that can make it between winning or losing. And one of those, in my opinion, could be the stretch run of a closely contested tight game is one team in an advantageous position because they know each other better and they've played more together. I think we saw it in the last game with Michigan State. Will we see it again here remains to be seen. I feel like when the NC tournament, you know, there's that when the you turn from one weekend to the next, the teams look different in the, in the sense that however you're playing in that Thursday, Friday, or, or sorry, Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday, you look different in the next weekend. Like if you were red hot 
it's not unusual to see a team come in and they just suddenly can't hit anything or vice versa. Right. And so sure. the question, you know, it's going to be, I think for Michigan state, the big questions are, you know, for one thing, the obvious thing is, can they hit the outside shot? Now they have a chance to step back, practice, whatever, and sort of get more comfortable. And for whatever reason, you know, they'll be shooting better. I expect that they will shoot at least average, uh, not a little better. That's just my guess. And then, you know, is AJ going to remain locked in like he was the first two games? Yeah. Because and I and I tend to think that he's turned a corner, and that at least with this tournament, there's I don't think he'll be able to feel casual because again, Michigan State's not a favorite in any of these games that they'll be playing unless they run into Florida Atlantic probably. So, well, they're fa- they're actually the Vegas favorite in this one, right? <laughs> at least are, right now. But I guess now. by seating standpoint, they're not. So I think most people right are not yeah favoring them. Them. Oh, they'll find plenty of reason to. Uh, believe that everybody's doubting them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. And then I guess the other question is too, Madi and and Carson Cooper and Kohler to a lesser extent. He didn't he didn't really pay, play a big role in either game in the f- the first weekend here, and maybe will in the second. I don't we'll, we'll see. But you know, can those two maintain that defensive intensity and that as you mentioned connectedness and the ability to in this sense not play the pick and roll as much, but they're going to be relied upon to help with that gap defense for sure to protect the rim. Yeah. And, and all of those are good points and those are all additional things worth watching. I think of that group, the one that's most important to me by a long shot and, and really would be a sixth key. If we had one is obviously AJ. Sure. I mean, it just so much, so much is it turns on where he's at and yeah, you'd hope that the signs are there that, he's finally turned the corner that for as long as this year continues, <laughs> that's not a question, but I, <laughs> yeah, I think it has to be posed at least as a key because we've seen reversion in the wrong direction often enough for a short, at least for the short term. And we're at a point in the year where short term can mean you're done. Right. So yeah. Or like he's got to be there. You can't fog out for yep. 10 minutes. Yeah. 10, 10 bad minutes. And that can be it. So he's got to be locked in and it's, and you're not at a point yet. And I probably will never get to this point where I make the assumptions that I've made about other guys. I never worried about Cassius Winston in that way. He might have an occasional bad game, but it wasn't going to be for those reasons. Yeah, right. Mateen Cleaves. I never worried about it. You know, Kalen Lucas. I mean, you can go on and on. This has been different. And, you know, you get the trust level that you earn. And I think Izzo trusts him. But, you know, for those of us who are outside that locker room, I think the sensible position is you're going moment to moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I wish it wasn't the case, but that's, you know, until, until AJ puts enough under his belt that you could say, okay, I no longer worry about it. You have to react that way. And at different points this season, it felt like, well, maybe we were there, but then we saw it go the the other direction for a while. So it's, it's crucial. It's crucial in every game. It's almost, it almost goes without saying AJ Hogarth's got to deliver. He doesn't have to be the best player on the floor necessarily, but he has to be good. Right. Well, and then, you know, as far as billboard, uh, bulletin board material, I, I don't know. You probably saw the ESPN, how they reseated the, the sweet 16. <laughs> I found it so, I'm just gonna go through it because I think it's really kind of, 
I think it's humorous. So you've got Alabama number one. Okay. Houston two, UCLA three, Texas four. Sure. UConn five, Texas six, or I'm sorry, Tennessee six, Gonzaga seven, Kansas state eight, Xavier nine, Creighton 10, Arkansas 11, San Diego state 12, Miami 13. And I just want to point out, this is this year's sweet 16, (laughs) Michigan state 14th, Princeton 15th, and Florida Atlantic 16th. Okay. First of all, there is no, and hats off to Princeton for what they've done. There's no world where they're a better team than Florida Atlantic, (laughs) but not by seed, not by eye test, not by record, not by metrics, nothing. Their mascot is far more terrifying than an owl, right? I take a tiger over now. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Start right there. Um, look, whatever. I mean, uh, is it, it, here's the thing that I find funny. So Michigan state has played a 10 seed from a power five conference, USC, not a great team, but yeah. certainly a yeah. team that I think you'd say, okay, that was, it's a lot better opposition in the first round than most of those teams you just listed faced because most of them were like top three or four seeds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're playing lesser opponents in the first round. And then Michigan state took out the number two seed in their region, who was the pick du jour of everybody to get at least to the elite eight. And they get no credit from that. And by the way, beat them by nine. They've won these two games by an average of nine and a half points. So you could say, well, they pulled away in both. It wasn't like they hammered those teams and I don't disagree, but you know, we put so much emphasis on scoring margin. They're winning by almost double digits (laughs) in the first two games. They haven't had to go down to the wire and hit a jumper with two seconds left to win a ball game, you know? So I wonder why they don't get more of a bump. And then, and then look, you, you add in the other factor here, which is, and it's not decisive, but if you are not factoring it in, you're not paying enough attention. You have a first year head coach who has done a great job and knows what it's like to be part of a winning program. I'm not taking anything away from Jerome Tang. He gets a little, he gets a little slogany from taste. Um, and I, I thought the way he handled the aftermath of their Kentucky win, you know, he, they, they asked something and he went on a rant about how tradition doesn't mean anything necessarily. Uh, you know, all the old guys that won things at Kentucky aren't walking through that door. You got to have dudes and Kansas state had more dudes. Keep chopping. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, and I'll admit your bias can take that stuff from cute to, you know, <laughs> yep. dumb, depending upon where you're standing, but you're still talking about a guy who's in his first year. He's never been through this. This is all new against a guy who just keeps, I mean, you see these numbers that get published after these wins at Tom Izzo's career. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous what he's done. And so in a situation like this, that probably should also factor in to how you're evaluating the team. It doesn't mean 
that you necessarily make Michigan State a favorite versus anybody. But it should probably garner them a little more respect than that. Now, I will say, I've also seen some national people saying basically what I just said, which is, hey, Tom Izzo in the second weekend and with, with what he's aligned against, you'd be foolish to bet against him. I've seen that take out there. You know, I don't think they're being completely overlooked as a legitimate threat to get through this weekend. So I, I can't say in all fairness, they've just been, you know, hammered with disrespect. But if you're reading this as they're not getting quite what the program at least should be due, I don't think that's an unfair read. Um, you know, one thing that I hesitate to mention, it is interesting though. We, we talked after the last, and this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but we talked after the last game, uh, about Tom Izzo's record in the second game of a weekend, 24 and seven now, right. which is just stunning. Pretty good. <laughs> Potentially he'd be going up in the second game of this weekend, if they can get there. And if the other side holds to seed he'd be going up against one of the handful of guys who have actually beaten him in that scenario and it's funny to say it about rick barnes because rick barnes is general the perception of him generally is that he's a march choker Mm -hmm. that was largely built up during time at texas but um he does not have a great ncaa tournament record but he did beat Michigan State in an Elite Eight game in 2003 when he was at Texas. It was a TJ Ford's team that beat MSU that year. But that was a really good Texas team. He's got a really good Tennessee team, too, but they're down a point guard, and that's a problem. Now, they may be able to overcome it because they've got enough horses. I think they could. But anyway, just a little preview if Michigan State does manage to get to that game, and that's who's standing there. I'd still bet on Izzo's track record, but that is one of the one of the few who can lay claim to having taken him out in the second game of weekend. We'll be back after the game on Thursday. I want to remind you to, again, if you've not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. This podcast is top 50 in America for all basketball podcasts. That includes professionals and college. So, I mean, thanks so much to you guys to, for listening and sharing. You're obviously... Um, you know, tuning in all the time. We really appreciate it. Helps. It helps our, uh, our ego, I guess, not just yelling into the, uh, to the ether all by ourselves. So it's nice to have everyone support the show. And if you want to support the show and what we're doing here, please head on over to our website at tffinots.com slash support. You can find ways of doing one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo or on a recurring monthly basis through Patreon that helps support us, all the extra content we provide and all the things we do here. So I guess until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.